Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Concerning that I'm not the only one in this boat. Hallelujah. First Kings 20, verse 26. Starting here this evening, the Bible says, and before we begin, this want to welcome all of our guests that are here. If this is your first time ever being here, we're so happy, amen, that you've come to be a part of this service on a Sunday night. Amen. We want to take time to, to recognize that you are here, amen, here this evening. 26, 1 Kings 20, amen. The Bible says these words, and it came to pass at the return of of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. The children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. The children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills but he is not God of the valleys therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand and ye shall know that I am the Lord the king of Syria at this time is a king by the name of Ben-Hadad the king of Israel is King Ahab that is servant at this time you may have heard me touch upon this every once in a while but I want to talk about it tonight from verse number 28 the king is thinking that the reason why that they lost was because God operates the God of Israel operates on the mountains and he says so we're going to fight them in the valley so I just want to minister this tonight mountain or valley he's he's God mountain or valley he's he's God God I love you Jesus this evening I'm thankful Lord for you in this place I pray, oh, Lord, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, for this day that you have given. I pray, Lord, that God, even through the ministry of the word, God, that there can be something that happens through the ministry of the word that not only, Lord, addresses a person and their soul, but through the ministry of the word, there can come healing to bodies tonight. Lord Jesus, I know your word was sent to heal them. And so, Lord, I am, Lord, confident enough this evening that through the preached word, God, there can be some connection in the realm of the Spirit. God, to bring healing, God, to bodies of those that are in need of it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. King of Syria, Ben-Hadad, and King of Israel, Ahab, are the two primary characters that we are concerned with here this evening. The Lord has allowed Ahab to defeat the Syrians on two different occasions here in 1 Kings chapter number 20. And so along with everyone else, they want them to know, these Assyrians to know that the Lord is God. It is the simple reason why these battles were in their favor was so that they might know that the Lord is God. It was kind of a proving time for the people that did not believe in God, that he, the Lord, indeed was God. And so on the first occasion, Ben-Hadad and the Syrians 
besieged, the Bible says, Samaria and sent demands to King Ahab to speak to him. And Ben-Hadad claimed that Ahab's silver and Ahab's gold belonged unto him. The best of his wives and of his children were his. The silly notion of the matter is this, is that Ahab's response was that he agreed. That's fine. If my silver and my gold belongs to you, so be it. If my wives and my children you are claiming as yours, he says, then all that I have is yours and it belongs unto you. But as the adversary oftentimes does, he doesn't stop at the request of just those first things, but he's going to dig a little bit deeper. If he's going to ask for silver and gold today and your family today, he'll ask for everything tomorrow. And so Ben-Hadad made a further demand of the king here of Israel. And he demanded, he says, tomorrow, the next day, I'm going to have my officials. And they're going to come to your palace and you're going to allow them. Can you imagine? This just blows my mind that he would speak to somebody like this. There he's going to invade your home, your palace, and he's going to come in and take whatever's pleasing to your eye. And what he's looking for is an agreement to this. That's fine. That's okay. Let him come in. Let him take whatever's pleasing to their mind. But after such a demand, Ahab, the king of Israel, began to consult with the elders of the land. Now, he says, the other day, he said, the silver and gold was his. And I said, okay, that's all right. The other day, he said, my family, my wives and my children were really his and under his control. And I said, that's all right. But today, he has said that he's going to send a group of people over and whatever's pleasing to their eye, they're going to be able to take. And I want to know, what do you think about this matter? Those old elders that had seen a few battles, had seen a few enemies in their day, they admonished that King Ahab, this is where we need to draw the line. As a matter of fact, you've already given up too much. This is where we need to draw the line. As a matter of fact, you need to prepare your people uh, for a very hostile environment. You need to prepare them for a battle. You need to prepare them for war because the Bible tells us that there were some hostile messages that went then between Ben-Hadad and Ahab. And so Ben-Hadad prepares to destroy the city of Samaria. The Bible says that Ben-Adad, he arrays his entire army in the region of Samaria. They are going to fight against Ahab and his army because they were not willing to relinquish all into their hands and their command. And whenever they go up to fight against him, the Bible says that Ben-Hadad and his army and all that they had arrayed there suffered a great loss that day. As a matter of fact, the first time that they had come in this scenario, the Lord had told Ahab through a prophet. The prophet spoke to Ahab and said, I'm here to tell you, Ahab, you don't have anything to worry about. The Lord is going to bring deliverance to his people. But after the first victory, this is the word of the Lord to Ahab. Ahab, don't you dare get relaxed. Don't you dare go and just start hanging your trophy of the first battle won on your mantle quite yet. Because in a year's time, the Syrians are going to come back again for 
another battle. This, this is not the final battle. They're going to come back to address you one more time. Can I just as a little segue here tonight tell us that if you've won a victory over the enemy once, that's not the last battle. And it's not time to hang up your sword or put your shield somewhere in a closet because there'll be another day that the adversary will show up again. We must be eager, willing, and ready always to go to war. And so he says, don't you dare, don't you dare settle down because according to a year's time, they're gonna come against you again. And I want you to mark my words and put it on the calendar that it is so. So you just use that year for preparation for that hour. You use that year for preparation for that day. Can I even preach this just a little while, folks? We need not to wait to get prepared for our adversary just whenever he shows up. But we need to be making preparation all along the journey in the downtime for the hour he does show up. Is that right? I've seen people, I've pastored people, I've talked to people that said, you know what? The devil came and he attacked me. I just didn't really know what to do. I'm here to tell you tonight, before my adversary ever comes, I already got a mindset how I'm gonna react. I already... Someone say amen. amen. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. So we don't have to wait till he shows up. We can make preparations now. You know, there's some choices and decisions you can make before the choice and the decision arrives. Yes, amen. Is that right? Yeah, young people, the ones that we have here, I don't have to wait till there's the allurement of somebody that's not in the house of God to form a relationship with to make a choice prior to that, that I understand the scriptures that I must not needs be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I don't have to wait till that happens. I can, before it ever occurs, already make a mind frame. Someone say amen. And so I said, mark my words, make preparations in verse 23. Here is the ignorance. Here is the misconception of the servants of Ben-Hadad. It's revealed right here in verse 23. The Bible says, and the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. In other words, the reason why we lost the first time is because we were fighting in the hills. We were fighting in the mountains. And that's where their God has jurisdiction. That's where their God really shows out his power in the mountains and the hills. They say, so as a result of that, let us fight against them in the plain. Let's fight against them in the valley. We'll see if they can be as successful in the valley as they were on the mountain. We'll, we'll, we'll change the game plan, if you will, because surely we shall be stronger than they are down in the valley. They were leaning upon the concept and the idea. The general belief of the heathens were this in the world that there were districts and regions in their cities and their countries and their nations where only certain deities and certain gods operated. There were the gods of the woods and there was only a god that, that could operate and have power in wooded areas. There were gods of waters that only had the power and the jurisdiction and dominion to operate and function 
dominion and have any power with the water. There were gods of fire who could only operate, if you will, through that means of fire. And if they stepped outside of their own sphere, if a god of the wood stepped into the water, he had no power. If a god of the water stepped into the fire, he had no power. They could only operate within those regions and within those spheres. So they believed there were some gods of woods, some gods of rivers, some gods of mountains, and some gods of fire. And they were taking that idea and they were applying it to the God of Israel. These gods can only rule over certain places. They can only rule over certain regions. And so the the God of the Israelites must be a God of the hills because he was victorious there. So we'll get him down to the valley where he'll have no power and where he'll have no clout. Someone say amen. And so the Syrians thought here, God, their God is just quarantined, isolated to the hills. His influence is confined to the hills. They thought the hills or the mountains, that must be his charge. That must be his jurisdiction. And that's the reason why they thought, amen, that they could take him down to the valley. Folks, while that was a reasonable thought process for any other God, that was an improper thought process for the God of Israel, the one true Lord and Savior that they knew. Can someone say amen? Can you give me just a little more monitor, amen, tonight, allergies, whatever it is. And so the thought process was that Canaan, the land of promise, that was known as a mountainous land, and Jerusalem, where the temple stood, was a mountainous hill, that Samaria, where their first loss was sustained, was upon a hill. And so their God, must be a god of the mountain. Syrians had good amount of horses, had good amount of chariots. Whatever benefited them, that wasn't going to benefit them. Horses and chariots and mountains just don't go over real good. Don't just really go over real good. Speed's a little lacking. Agility is not quite what it needs to be with horses and chariots in the mountains. And so they say, we're going to take them down to the plain ground We'll have the upper hand. Our horses will be able to run swift. They'll be able to pull our chariots very easily in the plain area. And we'll no doubt overtake them. But the God of Israel and the children of Israel seemingly leaned upon the pen of David that said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now the word of the Lord has come to Ahab another time, right prior to this second battle, that it was spoken that would take place. And the word of the Lord that spoke to Ahab was this, I am going to show up and I'm gonna show out. I'm gonna show myself to be God among you. I'm going to, if I can, talk some smack. I'm gonna school the Syrians. I'm gonna show them who God is. They say, I'm a God of the hills. They say, I'm a God of the mountain. And they say, I cannot function. They say, I have no power. They say, I have no jurisdiction in the valley. But I'm gonna take them down to the very place they think I'm powerful. 
and I'm going to show up and show out and let them know I'm able to deliver a great multitude even in the valley. Someone say amen. So when the battle started, it turned out to be a one-day war when the battle started. The, 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 they are outnumbered. The Israelites are outnumbered. The Bible describes them as two little flocks among, among many 100,000 Syrian troops. They are The odds are against them when it comes to human numbers. The odds are against them when it comes to the amount of horses they have. The odds are against them when it comes to the amount of chariots that they have. But in that single day war, in that single day, war great God almighty Jehovah showed up and demonstrated his power that he was more than just a God of the hill but he was a God of that valley for that matter he was the God of the entire universe he says I don't have to have more people in order to get it accomplished I don't have to have horses I don't have to have chariots I'm God the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and them that worship that I'm God Someone say yes. I, I just showed up that day what they dealt with in the valley is the very same thing that they dealt with on the mountain what they experienced in the valley concerning their defeat is the very same thing that they experienced on the mountain when they were defeated I let them know I have the same power someone say same power I have the same power in the valley as I do on the hills and I can destroy a great multitude with a few just as much as I can with many because with God the odds are always in your favor There might be someone sitting in this house tonight that you've already set up your piece of paper, drawed your line down the middle and start to write against everything that's against me and everything that's for me. And whenever you have gotten finished, the column of everything that's against you is a whole lot longer and there's a whole lot more items on that side of the column and you're scratching your head and you're telling yourself, how's this gonna work out? How's this gonna take place? I've come to tell you tonight, I don't care what the odds say. As long as you got God, mountain, valley, sea, river, water, fire, it matters not. The odds are always in your favor. (laughs) God of the hill, certainly. Ark of Noah that rested on Mount Ararat? Certainly. God of the hill? Certainly. On Mount Sinai, the pattern to the tabernacle in the wilderness given unto Moses along with the commandments there? Certainly. God of the mountain? Absolutely. Mount Zion, the tabernacle of David would be stationed there. Mount Calvary in the New Testament where the Lord was crucified? Absolutely. Mount Moriah where there's been blessings and promises it's being reassured upon that mountain a God of the mountain of the hill yes Mount Horeb that was bespoken as the very mount of God God of the hill the Bible says that whenever Lot and his family were admonished not to stay in the plain or the valley because fire and brimstone was going to come and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah 
the real will and purpose of God for them was this. Don't go to Zoar, but go all the way to the mountain. <laughs> Don't go to Zoar, but escape to the mountain. Because it's, he said, it's there on the mountain that I will preserve you. It's there on the mountain that I will safely keep you. So yes, he is a God of the mountain. He is a God of the hill. For that matter, we read of the story of Elisha. They are out, the Bible says, there is a city, there is a, a host of people that has compassed the city with horses and chariots. He has his servant with him. The Bible says this, and I'll just read it to you, 2 Kings 6 and 15. The Bible says, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, I'll ask my master, how shall we do? You know what? I don't know what the servant had back then. It was a note Agabus. You know, the little thing you put the beads over like a calculator. That's their calculators back there. Maybe he was sitting there and he's saying, putting them over. There's horses, there's chairs, there's this. He says, what shall we do? Do you see this great host that is all around us? And the prophet answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with him. And the Bible says that Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Can I tell you, it did not come down that God wasn't there when it started. Elisha knew God was there when it started. But all this boy could see was all the odds that were against him, that were in this mountainous terrain. God, let him see where you're already at. Elisha didn't pray, God show up in this. He said, just let him see. Let me tell you folks, if you allow God to touch your eyes and your ears and your heart, God will let you see where he's already working. God will let you see where he's already at in the middle of your dilemma. It's not that he's just gonna show up. He's already there. I said, bro, I pray, open his eyes and he may see in the Lord. Open the eyes of the young man and he saw him. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. And so the eyes of this young man were open and he seen horses and chariots of fire in the mountain with them. And so the words of Elisha are verified. They that be with us. I don't know what figures you came up with, guy. But they that be with us are more than they that be with them here in this mountain. Here's the fact of the matter, folks. God can't be limited. Let me further clarify. Your God. Your God can't be limited. There are other quote-unquote gods that have their limitations. Uh-huh. Their wood, their stone, they have their limitations. There's anything more hilarious to me in the Bible than I think it is in the book of Isaiah. That Isaiah is speaking of a man who goes out and he chops down a tree. He takes a portion of the tree and he carves out his God. And he makes himself a God. And from the other portion of the tree, he chops wood to make a fire to make himself a meal that night. There is nothing more hilarious to me than that. That the very same thing you bow down and worship is the thing that comes ashed in order to warm your food up. 
You read it in Isaiah. That's what it says. He made God out a portion of it and it may help get his food warm from the other portion of it, but neither of those things were there by themselves. It took a hand of a man to devise it. But whenever I call upon my God, I don't have to help him. I don't have to prop him up. I don't have to... I'm not lazy laying out a measuring tape or whittling him or cutting him down. He's God all by himself. Our God cannot be limited. Cannot be confined to a particular space. Can't be confined to a particular space or location. Uh huh. Or circumstance. See, see today, if you're going to have some regard to be able to go see these quote unquote gods, you got to go to where they're at. And there'll be lines and lines of people waiting for a chance just to get in the presence of where this God is. They may have paid airfare, traveled miles to get to where their God is located. That's not how it works with my God. I'm not standing in the line. I'm not waiting to have, if you will, audience of one with him. But wherever I am, I can call to him. And rather than me going to him, he comes down to where? He comes down to where I am because he knows no particular space or location. The Bible says the heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. That's my God. Amen. So we don't, we don't need, if he is an unlimited God, we need not put limits on our God. Huh? I don't want to limit him to a camp meeting in the month of July. I don't want to limit him, Sister McGee, to a conference in this month. I don't want to limit him to a hospital room. I don't want to limit him to a shattered family. And I don't want to limit him just to a car accident. I don't want to limit him to revival service that's scheduled on the calendar. For that matter, I don't want to limit him to a Sunday morning. He's God. He can show up on Wednesday, on Friday night. He can show up on Monday. He can show up the third Thursday of the month in prayer meeting. He knows no bounds or limitations and neither should we put any on him. So yes, he's a God of the hill. Yes, he's a God of the mountain transfiguration. He was God. Temptation in the wilderness whenever said it will take you up to the pinnacle of the temple and we'll take you up to this high place where you see all the kingdoms of the world will give it to you. He shewed himself to be God. But he also had power on the sea. Wait a minute. Hold on. Now this steps outside of the categorization classification of how God's up. He has power on the sea in so much that he walked on. Well, maybe he's got maybe he's got dual jurisdiction. You know, just maybe. Maybe we got a little dual jurisdiction going on, and so he can be a, a heel heel God, and he can be a sea God. I mean, because at another time he stepped to the helm and he spoke to the the sea, and he said, "Peace be still," and it was. So probably what we got on our head, it, our hands, is a dual location God. 
got a good dual location. So as long as long as we stay from the hill and from the sea, any other area is game. Someone say amen. amen. The Bible says of Jeremiah 5, 22, it says, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea? That blows my mind every time I read it. Have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual degree, decree that it cannot pass it. And though the ways thereof toss themselves. You know what Jeremiah is saying? He's saying we have hurricanes. We have tsunamis that transgress that line. But you know when the day is ended and settled, it goes back and stands at the line. Why? Because there has been a decree made. There's been a decree made of old. That says you can only go this far. You may pass over every once in a while, but whenever it's all settled, this is as far as you can go. Honey, I can take sand and I throw it in the air. I can draw lines in the sand. You can go down to Florida and write a heart, put your sweetums names in there and take pictures of it. You can build sand castles, have water come and seemingly wash it away. But God says, I'm gonna take that very insignificant thing called sand and this earth that's covered by three quarters water, I'm gonna say you can't go no further than that insignificant thing I've laid there. He said, so the ways thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? They roar, yet they cannot pass over it in the perpetual type of means. They're dealing with flooding right down in Texas. Man, it's horrible. You see all the pictures? Here's the end of the story. You know what? Sooner or later, it's all going to recede and be exactly like it was before it ever happened. You know what it's all hinged to? The word of my God. <laughs> Honey, if he's able to sprinkle some sand down and say, see, you can't come no further, what can he do in your life concerning things that are pressing in on you? He can lay a boundary just as well in your life as he has for creation. Waters or waves don't bind God. He binds them. Because <laughs> he's God. Amen. I said this many years ago, but it's fitting for right now. You know, people, man, you see all this stuff. You go to Holy Land or you get your nice little magazine or something on TV, buddy. They'll sell you a little, maybe one ounce jar of holy water. Praise God. This is from the Sea of Galilee or this is from the Jordan River. This is from where possibly Jesus has been one time. He may have touched this water. I'm serious. Or they might be interested in the sand. Get this a little ounce of sand from the Sea of Galilee. The feet of the master, the footfall of the master may have somehow touched some of the sand that will send you for a low, low price. If you can't come to us, we'll get it to you because his feet may have trod on the sand or, or his flesh may have touched this water. Let me tell you, folks, I'm not gullible enough and I don't need no sand. And I do not need any water that Jesus may have walked on or any sand that he walked on. Don't give me the sand. Don't give me the water. Give me the Jesus that walked on the sand and give me the Jesus that walked on the water. Give me the God. 
I don't need a trinket to remind me about him. I don't need some little image that's gonna quicken my mind. You just let me have his spirit. You let me have his divine power that I can. I don't have to put him on a shelf or in a closet because he lives inside of me. He's gone. And now see, things are kind of getting a little, whew, we're kind of getting out of here a little bit with this God stuff because it didn't matter if it was, if it was demon possession or an incurable disease such as leprosy. It didn't matter if it was at a wedding or during a funeral or even at the cemetery. God always showed up like he was the one that was the authority on it all. Devils quivered and asked, why are you here? Have you come to torment us before our time? Because they recognized his jurisdiction. Had no, had no bounds. Leprosy that could not be cured were driven out of bodies. Why? Because they recognized his jurisdiction. Someone say amen. Plain old water was turned into wine. The casket that was being carried out of the woman who only had one son, he touched it and stopped the procession. And he said, young man, I say unto you, arise. There's no need for you to be bound by a box because I'm not bound by it either. I know no boundaries. And so God does not govern certain places and not others. All things are within his jurisdiction. All things are in within his power. That's the reason why Isaiah, prophetically speaking of Christ, spoke that of his government there shall be no. <laughs> I'm having too much fun today. Because my physical body is telling me it. And so he both showed the world, the church world, those that were opposing him, that he had power. On the hill, the mountain, if you will, no doubt, truly evident through Calvary. But so that there would be no doubts. I want there to be no doubts. Don't anybody just think I'm a dual jurisdiction guy. Got this, got this heal thing, got this water thing, got this demon possession thing, got this, got this incurable disease thing, got this wedding cemetery. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I'm really preaching more than what I have up here, and I shouldn't be doing this. But, uh, you know, whenever the scriptures we read concerning uh, the Jairus' daughter and you read the harmony of the Gospels, there's different words that are used for her death. In some, you read the different Greek translations. One depicts her as though she was dying. Another one translates her as though she was already dead. And what God was really doing through all that in Scripture is that it doesn't matter if you're dying at the point of death or dead, I can still change it. He purposely had three different Greek words used because he was wanting them to know it doesn't have to be where you're at the point of the death and you can get deliverance or, or if you're in the process of diving you can be delivered. No, he even wanted them to know if you're already dead, I'm a God that has jurisdiction over that. So I gotta, I gotta move on. I gotta stop doing this stuff. Things just come into your head. The Bible says, Again, he didn't want to be misconstrued as just the heel. 
So he was going to go to the valley. When we speak of Calvary, he went to the hill, but he didn't just stay there. He went to the valley. Say, yeah, he was buried into the ground. No, the Bible says he went to the lowest parts of the earth. You can go today, go view the lowest, lowest, lowest valley that we have in America or even in the world for that matter. And Christ got you up one on that. He went to the lowest parts of the earth. And the Bible said he triumphed over them. He triumphed over them right there because I don't want anybody to get confused that whether it's the highest or the lowest or anywhere in between, I'm God. And so the Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse, verse number 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. In other words, no difference, listen to me, no difference shall be made to God whether it's a hill or whether it's a valley. There's gonna be no difference. To God, the mountain is on the same play and field as the valley. They're playing. For McGee, I say peak, I see valley. I see peak, I see valley. And I really see the peak when I'm in the valley. And how far? I've stood in some of those places in my natural life, you know, where you're looking up at peaks and you're so close to it that as you look up, you're almost like, Sometimes I feel like that in the spirit. Everyday living, like I'm in the valley and I'm looking at the peak and it is so high that as I stretch back far enough, I lose my balance. And so I'm seeing peak and valley. But to God, he just sees a plain. He just sees a plain area. And it says that his glory shall be revealed and all flesh shall see that on the mountain or even in the valley that this is God. He said valleys can be exalted as mountains and mountains can be humbled as valleys because he is God. So when you're going through your trial and you're losing your balance because you're looking at the peak, understand that God, God's not trying to pick on you. He's just trying to prove to you who he is. Man, I've already been preaching for a little while, haven't I? I don't know, Bishop. The mantle of Bishop may be just really coming heavy on me in these last few years. <laughs> the Bible says in Joshua 17, I'll try to hurry along, that the children of Joseph had made mention that the heel that they received for their allotment of land for inheritance was not enough for them but that the Canaanites that were down in the valley adjacent to them had chariots of iron. That's what they said. They said, we have an allotment of land. It's in the hill. It's really, it's not quite large enough to facilitate us, but there's a valley. Of course, where there's a mountain, there's a valley. There's a valley right next to us, and, and, but these people, there's Canaanites that still live there, and they have chariots of iron. Okay, this is not wood. These are chariots of iron. And so, so, so Joshua says, 
he speaks then to, to, to the children. He says, man, you're a great people. You're a great people. I know you see chariots of iron, but you're a great people. And you got great power. He just starts to rehearse to them because you got a great God. You're great people. You got great power because you got a great God. He tells them, he said, the mountain, the hill, said it's going to be yours. And you're going to drive out the inhabitants, the Canaanites that are in the valley. Though they're strong, though they have chariots of iron, and it's going to be yours as well. And so the promise that he made to them is this. You're not just going to have one lot and that be the hill, but you're going to have two lots. You're going to have the hill and you're going to have the valley because I'm not bound to one or the other and neither should my people. Understand? Well, that's God. He's not bound mountain or valley. Who are you? Who are you? Huh? Verse many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the. Who are you? What's your inheritance in this matter? If he has both hill and valley, don't think you got to take a back seat and say, well, I just got to have what I can get. No, no, no. If you are his people and he has hill and valley, then know very assuredly that you can have hill and valley as well because you are his sons and you are his daughters. You're the ones upon whom his name is called. Stand with me and I'll close. I don't want to wear myself out while wearing you out. First Samuel 2 2 says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Namely, because He was that rock that followed them in the wilderness, He was that rock from which water flowed in order to quench the thirst of the Israelites. David, as I've in recent weeks have said, said he's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He's also become my shield and my buckler. He's the rock in the New Testament scripture that the builders rejected. He is the rock that is the foundation of this church. He is the cornerstone of the foundation that gives it its origin and its alignment. But he is also the capstone that finishes the structure. He is God, the Lord. He is God. He knows no jurisdiction. You can put him in the furnace with the three Hebrew boys. Like one person said before, Meshach, Yorshak, and a bungalow. You can put him in the fiery furnace with the... That's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, okay. You can put him in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew boys and put him in there and he's God. Put him in the lion's den with Daniel and you know what? He'll be God. Put him in the midst of famine as there were several through the Old Testament Scripture and he'll come forth as the bread that they need for eating. He'll show himself to be God. Put him in the grave and he'll become the resurrection because he is God. Mountain, valley makes no difference. He's God. Here is the crux 
of it all. God can take the place of anything. But nothing can take the place of our God. Let's clap those hands a little while longer right here as they prepare a song. This altar is open. If you'd like just to rejoice in the power. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.